All right, in 1 Peter, we're gonna look at uh, verses 17 through 25. We'll start looking at verses 17 through 21. And keep in mind, he's just talked to them about being holy. Uh, in fact, last week, we looked at, be holy for I am holy. And this whole um, uh, growth that we see in our lives towards holiness as Jesus followers. And, and once again, he's writing this, he's writing this letter to these Christians that are scattered all throughout the known world, these churches. And, and, and he's literally like uh, helping them navigate through unprecedented times where they're experiencing trials, they're experiencing persecution. Uh, and we know by studying history that uh, there was even greater persecution that was about to come. And so he is writing this and, and, and essentially this is like, you need to get ready. You need to do these things. Uh, this is what your uh, life with Jesus needs to look like um, because if it doesn't, these things will destroy you. These things will cause you to fall away. These things will divide you. And so uh, last week we talked about his holiness and he starts using this term of a father when he's alluding to God. And, and we see that continued as we go into uh, verse 17 here, as he continues this holiness theme, he says, and if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Okay, so, so we, we begin here in verse 17. It says, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Now, when he, when he uses the term, uh, your time as an exile, uh, remember, we're all called, if we're a Jesus follower, to live this life as exiles. This isn't our permanent home right? Heaven is. So we are here temporarily on this earth. And he says, while you're here uh, on this earth, living for uh, Jesus, uh, he says something that, that rubs us the wrong way. In fact, I'm probably going to make some of you upset. Okay. By what we read here. And, and, but uh, sorry, that's part of my job. <laughs> But he adds this additional motivation for a life of holiness. And what is it? Well, he reminds them that the one that they call father is the same who judges his children impartially. Okay, so, so in other words, if you understand your heavenly father is also the judge who shows no favoritism and who's continually judging and rewarding each person according to what they do, then you live your life on earth with a fear of his discipline. Now, I'm gonna unpack fear in a minute, but 
here is something that is so important for us to understand and know. And, and we talk about the, the beauty of being adopted into God's family, right? At salvation, how he adopts us into his forever family. He's our father now. We have new brothers and sisters in Christ. We have an eternal home and we're immediately gifted uh, with these incredible blessings, right? We've talked about this living hope that we now have, this grace that we've not only received, but we get to live with daily. And all these things are, are great, but adoption into his family shouldn't lead us to the presumption that disobedience to him and his will for our life will go unnoticed or undealt with. Okay, like, like I, I, I hear it so often, well, I, he's my father and we're good. He loves me. And, and, uh, and, and, and honestly, how that comes across sometimes is I can kind of just do what I want. And he's gonna love me and, and there's grace. In fact, you preached about that, Steve. It's always available. And so it's just not that big of a deal. And I'm like, well, you are ignoring a lot of scripture when you live that way. And so he says, listen, this God that you call father is also almighty, all-powerful judge. And he's judging and rewarding all of us by how we live. And so, you guys, it matters if we follow him. It matters if we obey him. Because he says, I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to deal with you. If you're going to just, and, and guys, this isn't like a display of his anger. This is a display of his love, right? If he didn't care that, that his own adopted child would just turn his or her back on him and do whatever they want, even though uh, God is all loving, all powerful, knows what's best. And yet, oh no, God, well, I know what I wanna do. I'm gonna do it. And, and he knows it's self-destructive and he doesn't intervene, then he doesn't love me. And so you guys, his discipline is an extension of his love. Uh, when we talk about his judgment, his judgment is an, ex is an extension of his love. Remember, God by definition is love. So everything he does comes out of that. But what we need to know and understand is like when, when we're given guidance, when we're given um, direction in scripture, that's not like subjective. That's not like, well, maybe I'll do that. No, he's, he's, no we're, gonna, we're called to do that. We're called to live in this way. And so Peter's reminding them, listen, uh, when we talk about holiness and this process that we're on, you need to know and understand that yes, he is God, he's Abba Father, but he is also judge. And he is watching and, and, and he's judging and he's also rewarding uh, based upon how we live this life. Now, the, the thing here that we need to understand is he's talking about present judgment. He's not talking about future judgment because that um, wouldn't make sense because as Christians, we no longer have to fear future judgment, amen? We no longer have to fear eternal judgment because it's been defeated on our behalf. And, and because of our relationship with Jesus, that is no longer on the table. So he's talking about here and now. He's talking about this uh, life. And in chapter four, he continues actually talking about the blessings um, during this time on earth and um, the discipline uh, as well. Let me read to you some verses out of Hebrews that, that speak to this. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses five through 11, it says this. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? 
My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had an earthly, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. Catch that word again. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Okay, so do we we understand here what is happening, right? When we talk about the discipline of the Lord, when we talk talk about his judgment uh, that that he's judging us with, and and he says each one, every single one of us, right? He's looking towards us. So he's, he's impartial. That's important, right? In fact, Romans 2.11, it says, for God shows no partiality. So we're all on this level playing field. He's not going to play favorites. And so he says, as a result, uh, conduct yourselves with fear. Now, in this context, once again, it's fear of God's discipline. Now, when we talk about the fear of God, you guys, this is a topic that I have been wrestling with for a long time, long time. And, and even as I was preparing for this sermon, uh, this is one of those things, a lot of times I'll, I'll like finish my sermon and I'll like go for a run and, and, I, and I like, like start to like rehash the sermon and main points and, and kind of allow God to speak into it. Unless I'm just struggling, then I'm just angry when I'm running. But for the most part, I, I, I try to process it. And one of the things that I was just working through is this whole fear of God, this whole, this whole topic. And then I started thinking about how historically I have presented this topic, the fear of God, how I've handled scripture with that. And when I looked at that, when I was thinking about that, I, I came to the conclusion that historically I have often tried to soften this to make it more palatable, right? For us in today's culture, to make it easier to receive, to make it sound not so like, uh, you know, and, 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 and so what, I look, when I look back and critique myself for how I've handled that, and, and even today, there's so many that just dismiss this fear of God as this Old Testament concept that, that has no place in the new covenant. But, but you guys, in order to do that, do you realize how many verses in the New Testament we just have to ignore or just pretend they're not there? And so I think we've done this topic a disservice And we shouldn't be avoiding this direct truth just because we don't really like it. We don't really like how it sounds. And and you guys, something that's really important is you have to understand that terminology in scripture oftentimes means something completely different than what we in our culture have taken and twisted and distorted. 
not only when it comes to love, but when we talk about even just this, this whole idea of this fear of God. And so we have to do our best as Jesus followers to redeem some of these words and these phrases in scripture that according to our culture, we go, that's bad, that's unacceptable, that's not good. And, and fear of God is a prime example of that. We don't like how that sounds, do we? You can, you can be honest, just say it. Yeah, I don't like it. We don't like how that makes us feel. And, and, and maybe for some of us, we don't like how that makes us feel because we have parents who beat us over the head with the fear of God. Right? And so our whole lives, we've just grown up like God's angry, he's angry, he's angry, he's angry. So when we approach fear of God, we're approaching it from this like, this twisted, distorted past um, or, or, or just a perception based upon co- our, cor- our current cultural lens. And we're just off because when we hear fear uh, and, and as a whole, what we think of is, is, is we think of anxiety. We think of abuse. Uh, we, we, we think of living scared. We think of how fear is paralyzing. And we go, I don't want any of that associated with my God. With a God that loves me, that doesn't work. In fact, some of you are like, you invite somebody and they're here today for like the first time. And you're like, don't talk about the fear of God. Are you kidding? And you're like trying to like, like, stop their ears from hearing, right? Like, like, how do we make this? Like, yeah, just relax. Okay, but we have to do our best to unpack because it clearly states it. And, and where we're coming from when we hear that is this place of unhealthiness, this place of how we view this today. And guys, that's not what godly biblical fear means. It's a godly reverential fear. Okay, that's a good thing. This is an almighty, all-powerful God. And so, and so when I, when I, when I have a, go into a relationship with him and understand who he is, what he brings to the table, and that he is now my father, uh, you guys, I should uh, respond accordingly, right? I should have a fear of disappointing my father, my savior, my Lord. I should have uh, this, this fear of misrepresenting who he is. Like that's a good thing out of a spirit of reverence. I should, I should fear disappointing him, right? After all he's done for me, and so like there's, 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 there's goodness in this. Everything that he asks us to do comes from love. And so you guys, fear of God's discipline is good. In fact, in the New Testament, we see that actually being a sign of a, a church's and an individual's growth and maturity when they're experiencing God's blessing. Uh, in Acts chapter nine, verse 31, it says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And it says, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now, now when you read that, you guys, uh, we typically go and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Wow. Right? We, we just kind of like glaze over that. But do you understand that when you see this in scripture, it's inspiring, it's moving, there's movement. They're growing closer to God. They're walking in freedom. And yet it still says what? And walking in the fear of the Lord. So this isn't the fear that you and I imagine it to be, is it? This is different. 
This moves us forward. In 2 Corinthians 7, 1, it says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So there is this process of growth, of holiness that the fear of God is connected to that moves us forward. And it's not paralyzing. It isn't this, oh my goodness. It isn't anxious. It's not, what's he gonna do? Uh, It's none of those things that we imagine it to be. In fact, in Philippians 2, uh, 12, uh, we see Paul say, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, he says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Just work that out, grow in that through that reverential awe and fear of who God is. It's not inconsistent. This fear of God is not inconsistent with loving him or knowing that he loves us. It's just not. Now, now the, the natural response is, well, Steve, what about 1 John 4.18? Some of you are like, what's 1 John 4, 18? <laughs> I just think it's on the screen. 1 John 4, 18, what does it say? There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now that's a verse we go, oh yeah, new life verse. Love it. Want to take that one with me? right? Slowly pull your hands off the ears of your visitor friend that's here. You go, yeah, check that verse, right? That's the one. But you guys, you need to understand there's a difference here. Yeah, he's, he's talking about the fear of this, this eternal punishment fear. And guess what? You're free from that if you're a Jesus follower. If you're in a relationship with God, you are free from that eternal punishment fear. So that is, that is a real thing. And yet it's different than what we're talking about. We're not talking about eternal punishment fear. We're talking about the fear of God that we walk daily in that leads us to holiness. That's what we're talking about. And so those are two different things. And they're actually not separate from each other. They actually play off each other. And it's a good thing. And, and guys, if godly fear and love can't work, then we'd have to say that Old Testament believers who feared God couldn't also have loved him. Well, that's false, right? You should agree. Just, just even if you're just, yes. So fear in a way that you and I can't fully comprehend or understand, and that's okay. He's God, we're not. Fear coincides with our love for him. This healthy, this reverential awe, this fear of God, this God almighty father and my love for him, they, they, they go together, they play off each other. And, and guys, I, I, see, uh, I, I see this in, in a small way in my life, just as a father of three boys. I see this. I, I, I mean, guys, there is some good fear of daddy that my boys have. And it's good. Like, it's good. They are afraid and they will forever be afraid to walk on a freeway. That's good. I'm glad they're afraid of that. There are some, some clear, and that's kind of an extreme example, but there are some good things that they should be afraid of the discipline of their father. Amen. There's some good things. 
Okay, now I'm not talking about like, when I pull up into the driveway, my kids don't go, mom, daddy's home. Where can we hide? Where can, how do we get away from him? He's here. Like that's, that's, unfortunately, that's our view when we read fear of God. That's what we think. Then it's like, oh, he's gonna strike me. He's gonna get, guys, my, we have clear guidelines and there's a healthy, good fear in my home. And guess what? My kids run to the door when I pull up. They run to the door. They're excited. Often, they don't even wait for the garage door to close. They're so excited. And you guys, um, there's something special about that, right? And it's not disconnected from, from discipline, right? They, they understand and know that there's discipline from their father. They should fear that because it's for their greater good. It's out of, out of a love for them. And you guys, in a, in a way that supersedes that, but by who knows how many levels, our view of an almighty God father who loves us so much, who has adopted us into his family, how much more so should we respond and, and, and go, I, I, like, I should fear disappointing you. I should fear um, not uh, following your will for my life. I shouldn't be okay with that, knowing where the direction's coming from, Amen. And I get it. Some of you, you've had a horrific upbringing. Some of you have had a father, maybe a mother, or somebody distort the image of God. And so every time I say discipline or fear of God or that, you revert back to that. And it, it, it's twisted. It's a mess. And I get it. And I'm sorry that that's how it is. But let's not just throw away something that is good, uh, something that is healthy, and something that will help us stay on track because we need help. And, and, and that's what this is meant to do. You guys, there is, a, there is a fear that I have, even as I preach this morning, and it's not like I'm scared to preach. It's a fear that I'm held to a higher standard to a perfect and holy God, and I wanna, I wanna honor him. I wanna please him. He says, conduct your lives with fear of God's discipline. Why? I love this. Because you were ransomed because you were ransomed. See, this godly fear, it isn't paralyzing. It's not abuse-driven. It comes from this incredible love. It comes from redemption for you. You guys, ransomed, literally, when we see that word, it was used in secular contexts of purchasing freedom for a slave or a hostage that was held by the enemy. And so he says, respond to me in this way. I have ransomed you out of this former way of life, out of the sin, out of the wrath that, that you were under. And he literally uh, purchased us. He took us from one place and said, no longer shall you be there. Picked us up. And he says, now you're over here. You're adopted into my forever family. And guys, scripture over and over again talks about what he has redeemed us from. In fact, Romans 6, 6, it says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that, that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And then in verses 17 and 18, it says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. So, so literally he's rescued, he's ransomed us out of that life and, 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 and taken us to a new place. And he literally says in this passage, ransom from what? 
the futile ways that were inherited from your forefathers. That's what he tells them. So, so he says, listen, I have freed you from this futile mindset, this futile religion, this futile way of viewing the world and walking and dealing with each other and, and, and family dynamic. I have rescued, rescued you from that. And guys, this is a culture that valued their ancestral heritage and what was passed down in wisdom. It says, I've rescued you out of that. That was futility. That, that literally was worthless. It, 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 had, a, it had an ending um, and, and there, was, there, was, there was nothing worthwhile in that. I have rescued you out of that. And guys, this is so important because a lot of times we give way too, um, I would say much credit and authority to things that we would say, that we would blame for different responses and actions that we have. Well, I know I'm angry, but man, you should see my father. I'm like, well, I don't know your father. Should we pray for your father right now? Well, because let's talk about you. Because by authority of scripture, he has ransomed you and rescued you from that. How often do we say, well, that was, you know, I mean, look, look at who... My mom is, look at my situation, look at that. And, and we go back to these things and we go, well, they were like that, so I'm gonna be like that. And you've literally written your story from that. And he says, no, I have bought you and purchased you out of that. He says, I understand, that's futility. Don't carry that on. You are now adopted into my forever family. It stops. And so we can praise God in that, Amen. Because some of you, yeah, it's been, you look back and you go, man, it's just been rough getting to me. He's rescued you. He's ransomed you. He's broken that bondage. And the remarkable change that salvation brought was seen in these people as they abandoned these sinful patterns that they had inherited. And this is true for us today. One of the true marks of salvation in our lives is the abandonment of certain things that we used to do, used to say, uh, things that used to characterize our, characterize our lives before God and how we've moved away from those things. That's a clear sign that, that, that there is life change going on in your life. And he says, listen, this wasn't cheap. I didn't pay for that with silver or gold. You were ransomed. What does it say? They were ransomed with the precious blood of Jesus. That was the cost. Precious because of who's it? whose it was, right? Jesus's blood, the lamb, the unblemished and spotless savior of the, Lord, the world. It was his precious blood that was spilled and he paid the price for our ransom. And, and, and I love how it says, says it was foreknown, right? It was foreknown. Uh, in other words, it was foreknown that God planned to send the son as the redeemer before the foundation of the world. In other words, like when, when Adam and Eve screwed up, right? We're forever thankful for that. God didn't go, oh my goodness, what am I gonna do? They ate it. Trinity, what are we gonna do? right? It's all, it's off. No. Before he created those knuckleheads, before he started creation, 
he had the plan to send his son. He already had built-in forgiveness. He already knew what was going to happen. And so he, before all of that happened, he knew already that he was going to send his son to bring about redemption. Man, how many times do, do we make mistakes? And, it, and sometimes it even surprises us, right? Right, sometimes we're like, man, I can't believe I just did that. Where did that thought come from? Did I say that? Was that out loud? I hope it wasn't. I hope it was just in my head, right? I hope my kids didn't hear that. We make all these mistakes and the reactionary. It's just so reassuring. Every time I see foreknowledge in scripture, I go, thank you, God, that you knew all of that and still sent Jesus for me. And that that forgiveness was built in. That now because of relationship with the father, I can go to him. And he then talks about this salvation that's found through him, this hope through Jesus and his life. And he says, there's gonna be a faith and hope in God as a result of the salvation that was purchased for you. And then he continues in verses 22 through 25. And he says this, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory, like the flower of grass. The, the, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Okay, so uh, he uses this term when they were obedient to the truth and he uses this interchangeably uh, in this letter with faith, with receiving Jesus uh, as your Lord and Savior. And so he, he says, this move, when we received him as Lord and Savior, it purified our souls. And, and what Christ did is he cleansed us from our past, but then he also gives us the new ability to carry out his vision and his plan uh, through how we love. So, so in other words, as a result of this new birth, and he brings up the new birth, right? Again, he says, as a result of that, as a result of this growth in holiness, you and I are going to be led into a deeper love for other Christians. That's gonna be a byproduct that is a byproduct of growth. That is a byproduct of holiness. And he says, this love is a genuine love. Everybody say genuine. We, in our culture, genuine is under assault. Okay? When we think about genuineness. Because, because uh, we're, we're, we, we've, we've totally like, taken it and distorted just what it means to be genuine. In fact, um, when we think about just uh, loving someone else and, and, and genuinely loving them, genuinely loving someone else is much more than me posting on my social media that I, that I love them, right? Like, like I could post all day about how much I love this church. I, I'd just be like, man, love you church. You're awesome church. Can't wait to preach and talk to you guys, church. Can't wait to shake your hands and pray over you and, and all of that. Love you, right? Like I, I could do that every day. And, and I know people that do that. Guys, that does not mean I genuinely love you. It means I'm great at broadcasting. 
Okay, this isn't just something that we, that we put out there. This, this is genuine, right? I, I, don't, I don't gauge how much I love our church by what I'm saying or putting out there. I gauge, do I love this church when I look at my calendar? Where does my time go? Right, I look at the things that matter, that show, because he says, I want you to genuinely love each other fervently. We're called to love each other fervently. So this isn't this passive love, oh, they're over there. Hey, love you, praying for you. No, this is different. Fervently means I, I go to the limits of this. In fact, the, the, literally the illustration is of a muscle that's being stretched to, uh, to its limits. And he says, that's the kind of love I want you to demonstrate for each other for other Jesus followers. And, and, and so we should be looking at each other and, and, and that's how we should be approaching each other. We should be looking for opportunities to, to literally step into each other's world and to love each other. Unfortunately, so often we're, we're there, but we're there just close enough so that when they fall, we can go, oh, they fell. Oh, they screwed up. Someone should help them. Praying for you. But no, that's not the fervent love he calls us to. The fervent love he calls us to is what? That we will go be in each other's business, love each other, that when one of us falls, we're not okay with it. We go down there, we get into whatever messiness it is and we, and we go, hey, I am here with you in this to help you out of this because I love you. That's genuine love. Can we do that? Can we model that? He says, listen, this is a byproduct. Why? Because as a Jesus follower, when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, immediately the Holy Spirit indwells you. And what the Holy Spirit is doing and working out in your life, it's called fruits of the Spirit. One of them is love. It's a byproduct. You will love other people. And so when you think about understanding and growing uh, in your theology and how you view God and, and, and understanding scripture more and more, uh, you, you guys, you have to be careful because we can quickly make that the litmus test for our growth in him when oftentimes what's gonna be seen as a marker of growth is actually our love for other Jesus followers. And you can't disconnect the two. And guys, this is, this is so, I, I want you to just go back to when this is written again, right? He's writing this to people that are trying to follow Jesus that are experiencing trials and suffering. And, and, and he knows, and we know that, 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 that trials and suffering, they do one of two things right? They either bring about, when we go through something uh, extreme, it, it either brings about incredible bonding or incredible dissension. And I don't need to convince you of that. You look at the last two years and, and the trials and the things that some of you have been through and that, that we've walked through and, 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 and I, I, you're like, yep and yep, Right? Division that you've never experienced with people, with friends, former friends, family members, but then incredible bonding with some people. Like we've, we've, we've been through this, right? 
And, and so Peter knows that. He says, this is coming. This is what you're gonna deal with. And, and, and church, I want you to make it. I want you to be all that God has called you to be. And so you have to have this reverential awe and fear of God, which is gonna lead you into loving each other well. And if you fervently love each other well, you're gonna cling together because the enemy's attacks are going to try to divide you. And with this persecution, if you can love each other well uh, with this, you are gonna reflect Jesus's words when he says, they're going to know you by your love. And, and, and you're going to grow stronger and the bond of Christianity is even going to go stronger and it's going to actually spread throughout the world even quicker. And guess what, you guys? That's what happened. That's what happened. They embrace this. And so Nero, when he's trying to light up Christians all over the Roman Empire, had a reversal effect because they lived this out. And then we see Peter again goes back to this new birth concept and he brings up the seed of this birth. And he says, this seed of this kind of birth, this new birth is the word of God. Everything that comes to life begins with a seed, but it's a, it's a corruptible seed. See, human life is brought into being by a seed that must obey physical laws of decay and death. And that's what it produces in humanity. But God says, I didn't bring about this new birth using this kind of seed, a seed that is perishable. This new birth is brought about through imperishable seed, the word of God. You guys, people are brought about to repentance through the living word of God, the gospel. It's the gospel that is the word of God. It will never pass away. It will never pass away. And the life it produces is also eternal. And those who are born again through the word, they take on the everlasting character of the word. You guys, the gospel message is everlasting. That is at the heart, that's the root, that's the seed of eternal life in us. You're like, well, what's, what's the gospel? I hope you know what the gospel is. And the gospel is the finished work of Jesus on the cross for you and for me. The gospel is how Jesus entered humanity uh, and all of that flesh and everything else lived a perfect life for you and for me and then took all of our sin, all the sin of humanity onto himself, took it to the cross and died to it being the perfect sacrifice to cover your ransom, to cover my debt. And then he rose again from the dead, having victory over sin and death, creating an avenue for you and I to have access and a relationship to an eternal and perfect God so that when we say, Jesus, I want to follow you, I ask you into my heart, we are forever changed. Amen? And we enter into eternal life. Everything's different. And, and, and so he, he's saying, listen, that is the eternal seed. That is how people are saved. That is how life change occurs and it's imperishable and the characteristics of it will be imperishable in your life and to help them understand this, he uses this, this picture, right? He quotes Isaiah chapter 40, verses six, seven, and eight. He talks about what? The grass, he talks about the flowers. Now, what is he talking about here? Well, he says what? The, the grass does what? The gra all flesh, he says, is like grass and all the glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, okay? So, so our flesh, he says it's like grass. You're like, well, I'm impressive grass, like... I mean, come on, 
Some of you are like, right, honey? All grass just withers away, right? Withers away. So, so flesh isn't going to make it. The flower, right? The flower, the beauty or, or, or the glory of what my life produces on this earth, the achievements, right? The accomplishments, uh, all those things, the money that I accrue, all of that, right? Like, well, maybe that, that, that's the flower picture and the flower falls. It doesn't make it either. Like, well, that's depressing. That's the truth. When we were in Ohio driving around in Amish country, which is incredible, you should all go there. Um, my middle son, who is very honest, <laughs> has no filter, just says it. He looks around as we're driving. <laughs> and he's like, why are all these places for dead people? And we're like, What's up, bud? What do, you, what do you mean by that? You know? And what he meant was there's cemeteries everywhere. He goes, why are there, and he's, he had never even said the word cemetery. And he's like, why are there cemeteries all over? Why are they everywhere? And so we're talking about it. And, and actually, if you Google things to do in Ohio, one, one is go to this cemetery, right? And uh, a lot happened in there. And so anyway, but it, you think about a cemetery is, is, is this eternal reminder that this is not gonna last. It's not. We're all gonna end there. And, and guess what? No matter what accomplishment you have or that, and the, you know what, man? Some of these stones are impressive. In fact, I said, honey, I want that for my thing, okay? It's got a little fountain, I want that. Um, but you look at that and it's still, they're all sharing the same dirt. And nobody even remembers, right? Nobody remembers. Like, it's just, it's all there. It's all there and it's all gone. And, and, and he's literally like, what are you doing? You either live for that or you hold tight and cling to the eternal word of God. He says that is timeless. It's eternal. It never goes away. The life change in your life. And, 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 and so it, it, it changes how you live your life. You guys, and I, I can't stress this enough. The word of God remains forever. The gospel message is timeless. It's timeless all throughout scripture. It was good then. And it is just as good, just as powerful as it is today. We don't have to change it all up. We don't have to reinvent it. It is what it is. And it will carry us through, amen? It will carry us through. And then here's the other thing that you need to understand as we try and preach this and live out the gospel. You guys notice also that it's living. It's alive. The gospel message is alive. The question is, by what's coming out of my life, does it reflect that it's living? Does my responses to God reflect that it's living? When I look at what he's ransomed me out of and rescued me from, does it look like it's alive? And as a church, by how we approach each other and love each other, is it clear that this is true? I pray that it is. And I pray that we love each other well.